0: Tyler Smith here with another More Than One Lesson mini-sode. Uh, this time we will be talking about the best picture of 1970, Franklin Schaffner's Patton. And uh, in order to help me talk about that, I will welcome in my co-host and yours, Josh Long. Josh. Hello. How you doing? Good. All right. Are you, are you wearing down? No listeners a bit behind the curtain we are recording a lot of things all at once well not all at once that'd be weird this is the 10th episode in a row in the last five hours yeah um yeah these minisodes we do you know we never record just one at a time like we'll do two Some we've done three in the past Mm. and lately we've recorded minisodes after doing a full episode so by the time we get to that second minisode (laughs) it's i think we both get a bit punchy um but uh, let's go ahead and, and, and also I find they get, they get a little bit shorter because like <laughs> we've already been talking a lot. You get time. it, you get it. So, um, so yeah, Patton, directed by Franklin Schaffner, written by Francis Ford Coppola and Edmund H. North, winner of Best Picture, Director, Actor for George C. Scott, Original Screenplay, Art Direction, Sound, and Editing, nominated for Cinematography, Special Effects, and Score. Mm-hmm. Um, so Patton, here we go. Uh, I've said many times that my parents had a VHS called Oscar's Greatest Moments, 1970 to 1990. And it was, you know, interesting speeches, interesting things that happened uh, during the ceremony. But then it is also kind of a little celebration of the films themselves. And, you know, they go through the best pictures, but they also talk about certain actors um, and uh, certain performances. And one thing that I, and they kind of underline Patton for a number of reasons. One of them is that George C. Scott hated the idea of the Oscars, did not <laughs> attend specifically said, I'm not going to attend. He was the absolute front runner to win best actor. But he said, I'm going to be at home watching a hockey game with my family. That's what I'm going to be doing. <laughs> and sure enough, that's what happened. And so uh, that didn't keep him from winning though. And so I, so they kind of focus on him, but they also focus on his performance. And, obviously the thing that they show he's great throughout the whole film but the, the the they show a brief snippet from that opening monologue where he's in front of a comically large american flag and is just whipping up his troops as much as he can um and i remember so i think i was probably 14 uh when i saw that and immediately thought this looks pretty neat uh, mm-hmm. pretty amazing i've got to see it and so I think I first saw it when I was 15. I remember. <laughs> oh boy. I re- I got it on VHS, one of those two tape VHS okay. uh, for Christmas from two different people. That's how much I apparent everyone knew I liked Patton is I got it from my brother and my parents. And uh it's funny that your brother and your parents didn't coordinate on that one. Yeah, that is kind of odd, but um yeah, it was a movie that I really, really loved. Um, and I and I think I still do. I still respond to it uh, quite a bit. Um, and listeners will remember that it, it was the companion film, I think. I don't know. It's going to be pretty far in the future from when we're recording now. Mm-hmm. And pretty far in the past from when this go, uh, goes up. But um, So we're somewhere in time. We're somewhere in time. <laughs> but it was the companion film for our episode about Steve Jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, on an, on a not recent episode, on an episode that went up a couple months ago now, uh, you and I talk about how when you watch a movie that's based on a true story, you, ha- so you will often, if it's a good movie, you will have the reaction of like, I need to find out more about this story or this person. And uh, General George S. Patton Jr. is such a fascinating character. And I think, I mean, the film intrigues me so much about him that it's like, I, I need to find out more about his life philosophies and the type of soldier he was and how people view him. Was he this disliked? Was he this brilliant? I need to know. So for a while I was obsessed with, uh, with General George S. Patton when I was mm-hmm. in high school, for, for a short time. Um, so clearly it's a film that I really like and really respect. Your thoughts, initial thoughts on Patton. I hate it. Oh boy! No, just kidding. It's good. You're such a hippie.
1: Yeah, he <laughs> just doesn't get us, man. <laughs> um, no, I think it's. I think it's a. I think it's a good one. I think it's one of the better uh, bi- historical biopics. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't feel like it overstays its welcome. Yeah. It covers a lot without trying to cover too much.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I feel like it does a lot of the things right that so often. Are done wrong in this type of movie.
0: Yeah, it's and one of the things, and this has been a kind of a a, a theme in the stuff that we've recorded today. Um, but it'll be spaced out, so it'll be fine. Um, one of the things that I like about it is that it reminds me, in a way, of Lawrence of Arabia, because the character does not explain himself that much. Like you don't a hundred percent know what drives him. You see, he talks a lot. Yeah. He has a lot of stuff to say, but you don't completely know why he does the things that he that he does mm-hmm. except that one thing that fascinates me is that like he's great at what he does. And for yeah. some people that's enough. Yeah. I
1: think this is definitely one that's that revolves around one character. Yeah. makes sense that his name is the name of the movie because it's all him. Yeah. Um, much again, much like Lawrence of Arabia, but, uh, he, there's something interesting in his character that not only do we not totally understand what makes him tick. I think he doesn't
0: totally know what makes him tick. There's a marvelous little bit. And a lot of it, I mean, it's written very well. There's a couple screenplay things that I have that I take issue with, but but the performance is really great. There's a a moment when he seems obsessed and scared. He's talking about war. I think he's overlooking a battlefield and he's saying very quietly to somebody. He says, he says, I love it. He's like, God help me. I love it. So, and he seems like invigorated and yet saddened at the same time and confused. Like, like you said, I don't think, he's making an observation about himself, but with not really knowing why. Right. And that's, that's kind of that type of thing is
1: all of the self-reflection that you get out of this character. Yeah. And that makes sense. That's probably the type of person
0: that he was. And he doesn't seem remarkably introspective, which is weird considering that he wrote poetry. (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) Well, this
1: is why he's somewhat, I mean, everyone talks about Lawrence of Arabia being an enigma, but I think, uh, Patton is kind of a classic American enigma in a way and yeah. that he is strong and he, and he is driven and he is indiv- he's all about individualism and, uh, and like the American way, yeah. but he's not, I don't know. He, he, he isn't, doesn't seem to be very thoughtful, but he's still very good at what he does and he seems to like always pay attention and always know what's going on so like yeah. it, any level of him that is thoughtful is probably under a surface even for him
0: yeah yeah it's yeah it's interesting that you that you focus on his being an american as opposed to lawrence of arabia because the two characters do seem or the two men but i'll, I'll talk about them solely in terms of being movie characters, they seem cut from the same cloth, but they do definitely seem to be, you know, Lawrence is eloquent. He's quiet. He's well-mannered. He is British. You know, Mm -hmm. he doesn't feel like he's British. He doesn't feel like he fits in really, but, uh, but that is who he is. George S. Patton is confident and boisterous and loud, but he doesn't fit in. It's not that he doesn't fit in with fellow Americans. He doesn't fit in with, in peacetime. Mm-hmm. because once he's once reporters start asking him anything that has that has to do with not war mm-hmm. literally anything and he puts his foot in his mouth like he'll answer the question and then in, invariably offend somebody yeah and so and just he gets so and he, he's so clearly frustrated it's just like wh- why are they asking me these things and why am i why do people hate me so much like I'm so good at war. Yeah. Uh, And that is the only thing it's the, it's when he is in his elements and I'm sure that there, I'm sure anybody can relate to that in a certain way. Um, because while we may not all be great at war, I mean, I am, uh, I'm pretty good. Yeah. I'm pretty good at war. I've declared it a few times and I always win. Mm -hmm. Here's what happens. There's somebody at the supermarket. They cut a me, okay. you know, cut in front of me in line, and then you're narrowed, when say, your eyes
1: narrow and you say, "Total war." Yeah, under I, your I breath. say, "I
0: declare war on you," and then I hit them with a pipe, and I win. Oh. Oh, wow. So I like to think I'm like a modern day general George S Patton. I guess war is easier than i pictured. <laughs> well, war doesn't have to be a big deal. It can be just between two Sometimes that you can just be you hitting yeah. a stranger with a pipe in a supermarket. Exactly. Like it doesn't have to be tank warfare. It doesn't have to be like, Oh, all these battalions or anything. It could just be you with a pipe and the other guy, maybe he has a pipe. I don't know. Mm. I better take the offensive here. Um, what was I saying? Oh yeah. Um, I think everybody can relate to it. There, there are times when I feel very lost and quite worthless. Uh, listeners know that some of that, some of that is a function of my depression. But um, if I haven't done what I'm good at for a while, mm. um, I mean, there have been times. I mean, today, in fact, I was not feeling great emotionally or mentally. Then we started talking about movies and my mood got a lot better Mm -hmm. because I'm doing the thing that I'm, I'm finding sort of an anchor and, and war is Patton's anchor. Yeah, totally. Um, and it's just, uh, you know, and there's, and there are, they do underline it often by having other characters declare it. Mm -hmm. Um, Carl Malden plays another general a much more humble general named Omar Bradley. And there's a scene where he says, he's like, you know, the difference between you and me, George, I do this job because I was trained to do it. You do it because you love it. And there is a definite difference. Like Mm -hmm. they could be equally good. Although I don't think anybody would say that they could be equally good, but the motivation is totally different. I think like general Bradley has no real taste for a war, but he's been trained to do it. He's good at it. And what are you going to do? Yeah. Like he, he can probably function way better in the real world than, than Patton. Hmm. So anyway, uh, you know, I, I feel like I could spend a long time talking about like the nuances of this film. Um, so, uh, there are a couple of script things that bother me and there are things that tend to happen in, in biopics where, um, the way people will talk about the character specifically, um, I think Rommel and his enemies, the way they the way they talk about it, and they talk about him like as though he's the only member of the Allied forces, oh, right? And just like it's like I bet, and and they say stuff like, and maybe it's in the performance where he'll say stuff like, "We, it's, I'm going to destroy him before he does the same to me." But he says it like super scared and nervous. I'm going to destroy him before he does the same to me. Like, <laughs> and just like, well, we are dealing with Erwin Rommel, who was himself pretty formidable yeah and probably was not terrified of Patton all the Mm -hmm. time like it's it's that sort of thing that kind of gets to me but um but aside from that i feel like the script is pretty solid and the performances are are pretty great all around i also enjoy the scenes between Patton and field Marshal montgomery these two uh they're on they're on the same side they hate each other and are super competitive (laughs) and it really does it does a good job to like sort of reduce these guys when you realize that they're brilliant and they they helped win the war, but they're so petty and childish. (laughs) Um so yeah. Uh so in general, I mean so do you like Patton? When's the last time you saw it? I don't remember. (laughs) Oh boy, that's too bad. You and I should watch it. We'll watch it together. Don't you worry. All right. Right now. Let's let's do it. Okay, we're gonna set the mics down. (laughs) Yeah. We'll just, we'll do a, a commentary
1: on Patton. We'll leave the mics recording, but we'll still set them down. So you'll get this sort of distant, uh, sound
0: of us just watching a movie. Yeah. Probably not saying occasionally you'll hear something like awesome. (laughs) So, um, anyway, actually, I don't think I would ever do that in any movie. I don't think I would ever declare something to be awesome. Um, so, uh, okay. So the film, like I said, it won a number of Oscars. I think I'm fine with all of them. Um, the other best picture nominees for 1970 were airport five easy pieces love story and mash i have seen i've not seen airport i've not seen love story uh yeah i'm the same i've seen
1: five easy pieces and i've seen mash doesn't it feel a little bit like this whole discussion of the 70s has been a lot of us talking about the airport series (laughs) it's amazing how often they're popping up in this and
0: then we take a break and talk about the towering inferno for Mm -hmm. a while yeah
1: yeah, it's... Uh, well, this is the one that got nominated for Best Picture, so I guess this is the best one?
0: Uh, Tarrowing... Uh, uh, yeah, oh, of, of the airport, airport series, series I mean, Yes, yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, yeah, it... I'm trying to think. I mean, there are movies that are, you know, big spectacles now, and mm-hmm. they're viewed... And even historically, people view them as, like, oh, they're spectacle first. They get nominated for Best Picture. Um, you know, you get stuff like Avatar. But even that, like you know, revolutionize certain filmmaking technology and it made a lot of money Mm -hmm. to me, airport being nominated. And I say this, having not seen it, maybe it's great, except history has treated the airport series very specifically. What people remember is that airport is the thing that inspired
1: airplane. Like that's why we know airport.
0: Yeah. Um, and that airplane got its laughs by striking the exact same tone as Mm -hmm. airport, not really being that silly. Yeah. Um, So, but yeah, it almost seems like if independence day were to be nominated for best picture, like another, it was a, it kind of helped kick off like the alien invasion thing in like in the nineties. Um, but it also made just a ton of money and, it was a crowd pleaser, like the airport series. And it had a, like a big ensemble cast. It was basically like a disaster film yeah. with aliens. Yeah. And so I feel like, uh, if that were nominated for best picture, we would look back and be like, wait, what, why did that happen? <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Um, and I feel like that's how people look at airport. That mm-hmm. said, I haven't seen it. You haven't seen it. Let's no. watch it. Let's, Maybe it's great. Let's watch it right after Patton. Mm-hmm. <sighs> um, but I have seen five easy pieces. I have seen mash. I've heard love stories very good, but I could also, in retrospect uh, see it being like really melodramatic. Oh, yeah, I've heard that it's a little melodramatic and it's probably kind of dated. Yeah. It dated maybe is the, is the bigger crime. Melodrama is not inherently a right. bad thing.
1: I just don't enjoy it very much. I think. And that's me.
0: Yeah. I, it, it has to be very specific for me, mm-hmm. for me to like it. But then when I do, I really do. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the big thing from love, sto- the uh, culturally, the big thing from love story is, you know, love means never having to say you're sorry. <sighs> Which, when I deconstruct that, I see, <laughs> I see a way for it to work. Uh huh. But it's not how they mean it. No, not um, right. like what they mean is just like, oh, you don't like. But th- I think they mean it the way they say it. Yeah. Uh, which is ridiculous.
1: Isn't there? Maybe you and I have talked about this, but wasn't there a movie a few years later? I think it was a Barbra Streisand movie where he says to her in a similar context, he says, love means never having to say you're sorry. And she's like, that's the stupidest thing
0: I've ever heard. <laughs> well, it might be what's up doc, yeah, I think with, it might be. which is
1: Ryan O'Neill from yeah, love stories. think so, that might be what it was. Yes. That would not be. Surprising. So the fact that they were poking fun at that, yeah. at that phrase,
0: not two, three years later. Yeah. Uh, uh, speaks to something. Yeah. And it's, uh, I, I haven't seen it. I feel like I should, cause it was a big cultural phenomenon at the mm-hmm. time. And so, but it's just not a big. Oh, you know what? The music from Love Story. The, the oh, theme yes. from Love Story. That was big. as as uh, you know elevator music, basically. Mm-hmm. I've used <laughs> it in films that I've made uh, that are comedy, by the way. Yeah. Um, that and theme from A Summer Place. It's that same sort yeah, of yeah, like yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so okay, which brings us to Mash, which I've never been. A, I love Robert Altman, but I've never been a big Mash fan. But I also haven't seen it in a while. I enjoy Mash. I feel like. Um,
1: I feel like it's a small enough story. I I feel like I don't connect with the comedy in it as much. I think that's it. Yeah. Uh, the, the sort of silliness where they're trying to like get away with being troublemakers that doesn't connect with me a whole lot. Uh, but I feel like because it is a little bit smaller scale than some of the other ones in terms of the characters and Mm storylines, I think it might be more accessible and remember, seeing it younger, it seemed easier to follow to me than, say, probably Nashville at the time. Oh, sure. Um, so I can see that. That's not necessarily a better thing, but uh, I can see that being one reason that it's maybe uh, one that so many people remember. Well, as uh, the TV show, too, which I think people are it's hard yeah, to yeah. separate the two.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, And so in school, in my Robert Altman class, I wrote a paper on his uh, subversion of genre, which is a really fun thing to look into, by the way. Mm. Um, And you look into his big movies and his small movies, and he works in genre quite a bit and then we'll turn it on its head and often show tremendous contempt for the genre. (laughs) So, okay. So like real, we'll run through it real quick. Um, mash is his war movie. That is an anti-war comedy. Mm -hmm. Uh, McCabe and Mrs. Miller is his Western that takes place up in the North and has a coward for a main character. Uh, they say that Nashville is his musical. Now I have a tough time with that because the characters themselves are, they're in a, in an environment where they're, expected to sing mm-hmm. but it's also a, an incredibly cynical musical if you want to look at it that way popeye is his family film <laughs> that is often deeply uncomfortable to see like these cartoons in real life mm-hmm. and it's like oh popeye looks really gross <laughs> um let's see uh Oh uh Dr. T and the Women is his Chick Flick that is one of the most misogynist films I've ever seen. <laughs> Gosford Park is his who done it where you don't care who did it. Mm. Um it, it's just fascinating <laughs> to go to go through it all. Yeah. Um and uh actually no I sorry, I had written an article for a different thing about his subversion of genre. I wrote the, my paper about his misogyny, oh. <laughs> um, which gave me a lot to work with. I'll tell you that right now. But, um, but yeah, I think I probably need to rewatch mash. Um, mm-hmm. cause I might've been too young for it. The comedy didn't really work for me. Yeah. Um, and maybe the comedy is a bit dated, maybe 1970, like, oh my gosh, look at, the hijinks during war. Are you kidding me? That's crazy. Yeah. Maybe that's kind of, I think that's that I get the feeling that was part of the thing.
1: And maybe again, why the comedy doesn't connect with me so much, maybe because it's been done since then. Yeah. Um, sort of deconstructing war and not taking it so seriously. Uh, wouldn't, I can see how that would have been more, uh, avant-garde in 1970, especially on the heels of Vietnam.
0: Yeah. And one thing that I find fascinating is that like, uh, there are two war movies nominated uh, in 1970 and they couldn't be more different. <laughs> yeah, And the Academy made their decision uh, that they're going to go with a much more straightforward and in my opinion, the better movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so other 1970 releases include, you know what? Here's the thing. As we go back further and further, we're going to get more into movies, you know, into years where I haven't seen a lot of those movies. Yeah. I, I was thinking the same thing. Like, and, but, but I've heard, a lot about ryan's daughter i've heard about diary of a mad housewife i've heard a lot about the great white hope and i never sang for my father and Is i never sang for my father a play also i, I, b- like I believe so it, it yes um you know i've heard a lot about rio lobo and start the revolution without me like it's that's that's
1: a film that i like a lot that i i discovered on like tcm or something like that mm-hmm. hadn't heard of it at all and it's very silly but uh the part of me that likes silly comedy enjoys that film quite a lot
0: for some reason, I always get that one mixed up with the Russians are coming. The Russians are coming. I have mm. no idea why. <laughs> uh, they're not the same, but no, for some reason, really. I always get them mixed up. Um, so movies that I have seen, I've seen Gimme Shelter. I've seen that one. Yeah. I've seen John Cassavetes' Husbands, which that I love. I haven't seen. Um, I've seen Joe, which is a weird movie of its time that what? I feel like everybody should see. What is that? It's with Peter Boyle. It's kind of this working class guy who decides to um, sort of strike out against like the culture of the sixties. Um, it's a very strange little movie, hmm. um, in like against like the counterculture sort of, yeah, kind of, huh, but it's, a, but he's kind of a bigot, but you also, you also see where he's coming from. It's a strange, Almost like movie.
1: falling down a little bit, sort of. Yes. Hmm. Um, okay
0: yeah i it's i i think when i first saw it i wanted it to be more like falling down oh. but uh but it's a movie that like could only exist in 1970 hmm. um but it's interesting hmm. um i saw the molly Maguires, which i love and you still haven't seen even though uh we keep we, in the past when i did go to movie <laughs> night we kept <laughs> trying to make it happen. almost spin it yeah um yeah I, is I, there's Scrooge, I assume
1: is one version of uh uh the night. Why can't I think Christmas Carol? Yeah. Uh, it's the one I think with Albert Finney, there's so many of those. It seems like I don't yeah. know which ones I've seen. I've seen like the old, is it Alistair Sim? Oh yeah. Yeah. I've seen that one and I've seen, there's one with George C.
0: Scott. There is. C. Yes. Spurridge. Which I think came out in the eighties. Yeah. Yeah. I don't um, know if I've seen this one. Yeah. So, uh, and, and I'm sure, and I know people really like little big man, which I've never seen. um, Yeah, I feel feel bad that I haven't seen more movies from 1970. Yeah. But uh, so I have a hard time saying, like, what should have, of these, what should have won Best Picture? Maybe people think that, uh, you know, that Ryan's Daughter, which did get, I think, some other uh, Oscar nominations, I think maybe even uh, win. But maybe people think that that was the best movie of the year. But I feel like you and I are kind of tapped into the culture enough to know that the movies that people remember from 1970 are Patton, M.A.S.H., Gimme shelter, Mm -hmm. you know, the Aristocats. Uh, I wrote Kratz here. It's a different thing. (laughs) I was going to say, I feel Um, like that came out a lot later, but, uh, but yeah, so, you know, I I don't think I have any problem saying that Patton deserved to win best picture. I think it was a nice big cinema, uh, you know, cinematographical, that's not right. (laughs) Cinematic, um, achievement Mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah, I have no problem with it winning. What do you What do you think? Yeah, I I feel the same way.
1: I, I don't, like I said, I I don't know that there are any movies on this list that I feel really strongly about. Um, I
0: do love Five Easy Pieces, and you do you
1: love Husbands too, which I haven't I seen. Yeah. Uh, and that might I feel like if I were to see that, that might be the one for me. The, the one that connects with me the most is Start the Revolution without me right now. But that's, even more than Give Me Shelter, um, I don't know. It's hard to say that two. Totally different yeah. movies, so it's yeah. it's hard to compare. But I don't know; it's hard to say. Yeah, because Give Me Shelter is very effective, and I'm always interested to see stuff with uh, people who are not necessarily actors uh, during that time period. Like we know so much about the Rolling Stones and everything mm-hmm. like that. So to see them then in their elements, yeah, is a little bit interesting.
0: But also to see this in this an interesting. F- it's not a footnote, it's a big deal. But like this this milestone in rock and roll history where, right. you know, the the Hell's Angels were doing security and unsurprisingly to everyone, <laughs> except I guess the person who hired them, <laughs> uh, things got out of hand. Yeah. And so it's so interesting to see this thing that like it's not merely a music documentary. It's right. also a histor
1: in a way a, it's, h- a, a historical uh, snapshot. It is that, and it, it's an exploration of uh, maybe even without being aware of it. Totally is an exploration of kind of the fall of the, uh, the free love movement of the sixties, like the, that sort of revolution. And I think well, a so lot of these that things comes right
0: after Woodstock, right? You know,
1: it's a lot of this stuff kind of happened at the same time. Like when were the, the Manson murders were in what six, is that 69? I don't remember. Maybe that was 70.
0: Mm, I, I late six, 68, 69. It was exactly. right around that yeah.
1: time. So all the, these things were happening that people were talking about sort of being the end of the sixties yeah. and like the, you know, the peace and love movement. and, yeah. To see, that, that's thats another reason that I find the film interesting is to see this, uh, the, their, their, uh, the Rolling Stones idea coming into is we're going to do a free concert because people shouldn't have to pay for stuff. And it's like, it's such a positive idea. And then just seeing it sort of fall flat on his face is, and them looking at that and e- either having to change the way they think about the world or just yeah. not being able to understand it. Did you ever see the Limey Steven Soderbergh film,
0: 1999? No, I don't think so. I love it. And I think you would really enjoy it. Um, It winds up being, boy, did I not expect this, but it winds up being this interesting meditation on the sixties. And by casting Terrence Stamp and Peter Fonda, um, you kind of get these, certainly with Peter Fonda, you kind of get these uh, icons of the sixties and you have, and there's one moment that uh, where Peter Fonda's character, who is a music producer who got very famous by like packaging the 1960s. Mm. um, And so there's this, uh, Moment when he's talking about what the 60s were, and he said, You know what? But it wasn't even this. He's like, The 60s weren't even the 60s, it was late 1966 and all of 1967. <laughs> like, that was the 60s because, yeah. up until because after that, you have you know Bobby Kennedy and Martin Luther King, and that's right, of, and things really start going bad. So, yeah. like, in earnest, you really only had it for like a year and a half. Yeah. But another interesting moment in that scene is uh, watching the commentary, Peter Fonda as an actor, uh decided that his character is getting a little bit too mystical and a little bit too lofty in the things he's saying. So he's decided, uh, I'm going to say this monologue while I'm, uh, picking my teeth, uh, which will, uh, suck some of the, uh, loftiness out of it and uh, mission accomplished. It did, but it's still really effective. Mm. So, um, but yeah, so, uh, Rolling Stone, uh, um, pardon me, Gimme Shelter is a, an interesting, like I said, snapshot of the time mm. and, uh, a cultural shift. Yeah. Um, but uh, okay, I think we will go ahead and, and leave it there. Um, if if you haven't seen Patton, go and watch it. I think you'll, I, I can't imagine anybody not liking it. It's, it's done in a pretty straightforward way, but I think you can really, if nothing else, you can really latch onto that performance. Mm-hmm. And as we said before, kind of the enigmatic quality of this character who no one would ever describe as enigmatic because he's so big and blustery but when you think about it, it's like, what do you actually know about him? Mm -hmm. What does he know about himself? And the answer is very little. Hmm. So, um, yeah. So go and watch it. If you haven't seen it, uh, the next, the next best picture that we will be talking about is midnight cowboy, which at the moment I have not seen ever. Um, so that'll be very exciting to talk about. But in the meantime, thank you everybody for listening, Josh. Thanks for being here. You're welcome. And we will get you next time.